Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. Here we have the exposition of the sixth vial. Verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. Here, verses 11 through 16, we have Christ, the white horse rider, faithful and true, King of kings and Lord of lords. I saw heaven opened, he says in verse 11. Now in the ancient world, cities would be walled about and the armies would gather their strength and be prepared inside and then the doors would open and out poured the army. That's the picture here. Heaven opened. Christ coming with all of his armies to slay his adversaries. This is the king of glory. The gates are lifted up in their heads, and he goes forth conquering and to conquer. Behold, he says, a white horse. As in the first seal, do you remember back in the early parts of this book? There, was, there were the seven seals, one at a time. The first seal had a man on a white horse, and this man went forth 
conquering and to conquer. He was with a bow shooting his arrows into his enemies' hearts. Now again, a white horse. Here he goes, not in the first age of the history of the apostolic church, now signaling the end and the defeat of his enemy that grew over time from one step to another until finally his enemy is ready to take up arms against the king and be destroyed in a moment. He that sat upon this horse is called Faithful and True. He executes his promises faithfully. All that he declares is the truth. B.H. Carroll comments, whatever he says to his people is true, and to whatever promise he makes, he is faithful. And notice, this paves the way for his marriage with his wife. He promised her he would conquer her adversaries. This false spouse will be destroyed, and then the marriage. And so he goes forth to destroy the whore. His eyes were as a flame of fire. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 14, chapter 2, verse 18. He is no mere mortal. His eyes can try men. That's what fire does. Burns away all the excuses and dross. Burns away the stubble. He can see right into the heart of the matter, we might say. Penetrating insight, refining and judging with a mere look of his eye. And notice, on his head, many crowns. Do you remember how many crowns the red dragon had? What about the beast? How many crowns did he have? What was the extent of the dominion of the mega whore? How much kingdom, how much glory, how much dominion did they have? Well, it's like nothing compared to his. He is crowned not with 10, not with 7, not with 17. He is crowned with many crowns beyond the dominion, beyond the conquest, beyond the victories of the beast, of the whore, of the red dragon. He shall rule from sea to sea, the scriptures tell us, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The Lord's name shall be great among the heathen. When does that happen? Where on the earth does the sun rise and set? Do you know where it does that? Everywhere. He shall have dominion everywhere. Among the isles of the Gentiles, crowned with many crowns. The beast's kingdom is as nothing to his. The mega whore's dominion is as nothing to his. His dominions, his conquests, shall extend far beyond theirs. Though their dominion seems deep and wide, does it not? Reaching into the hearts of men, causing them to take a mark and to bow to graven images, yet his dominion shall be greater than theirs. His name shall be great among the Gentiles. The Dutch annotations say that these crowns were wreathed together as a sign of his manifold dominion, even above the dragon and the beast with seven heads and ten crowned horns, for he is king of kings and lord of lords, verse 16. I note then this doctrine. 
Christ's dominion shall be vaster than all the powers of darkness. Every power of darkness described in this book does not have a mega crowns, mini crowns, multiplied crowns. Only Christ has that. Seven, ten, you can have your piddling little kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is greater than all. Are there parts of this book that seem hopeless, dismal, even abysmal, diabolical, depressing, miserable? The darkness of the dragon, the beast, Apollyon, he opens up hell and what comes out but smoke belching forth to cover up the sun and the heavens. And out of that smoke comes forth what? Vile creatures, destructive hellish creatures. With all of that, with the dragon, with the beast, the wormwood, the whore, the lying miracles, the trampling on the court of the temple, the killing of the two witnesses, with all of this, he shall have more crowns than they. After the darkness, light. This was the phrase of the Reformation. Post tenebras lux. After the darkness, now the light. Now this reformation we had in the 16th and 17th century, how many crowns did Jesus get then? Not many. Not many, I tell you. But when he shall come and do this work, he shall have all the crowns as his own. One day, all the kings of popedom shall turn on the whore and burn the city. The Jews shall be called. All nations shall become the dominions of King Jesus. And that reformation we had will look like child's play. Let us pray and work toward that happy day. What manner of persons, Peter asks us, ought we to be in all godliness and holiness of conversation, hastening unto that day of God? Crowned with many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. This is that secret and wonderful name of Judges 13, 18. No man knew it but himself. And no man knows the Son but the Father, except those to whom the Father chooses to reveal him. This is that name above every name, that might, that dominion, that word, that law, that authority of this great king. None can know it but he to whom God chooses to reveal it. Notice his clothing, verse 13. He's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. We saw in chapter 14, verse 20, that his own arm brought salvation. And that he would tread down, Isaiah said, the people in his anger and make them drunk in his fury. And he will bring down their strength, where? To the earth. That's what he's doing. He's treading out the winepress of God's wrath. This is not the blood of redemption but the blood of vengeance, the blood of the overthrow of the mega whore, of her allies, of her accomplices, of her dependents. He is also called, verse 13 tells us, the Logos, the word of God. He crea who created all things at the beginning. He who was made flesh for us men and for our salvation, here none other than Jesus 
our Savior. Now behind him he has an army. They are clothed in fine linen, white and clean, just like the wife. Same idea. Fine linen, white and clean. These armies will watch. They will not fight. Do they have blood stained all over their clothes? No. Clean. Glistering with whiteness. They're doing none of the fighting. His arm brings salvation. The armies of the king, yes, they triumph. No, they do not fight. Their swords are never unsheathed. They shoot no arrows. They throw no spears. Rather, they observe the word of God go forth, conquering and to conquer. They share in no glory. The Dutch annotations comment on these fine linen garments, white and clean, namely to give us to understand their purity and glory. When they shall come to triumph with Christ their head, whose garment alone is dipped in blood by reason of this slaughter, and who alone is armed with a sword and an iron rod, because the honor of this victory belongs only to him. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Notice verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that it should smite the nations. The Logos speaks a word of judgment. He shatters the nations, crushes them to shivers. The kingdom of Antichrist shall be broken. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 tells us that after he that restrains the wicked one shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with what? The spirit of his mouth. And he shall destroy this man of sin with the brightness of his coming. Christ rules with the rod of iron. Now he had promised his people in other parts of this scriptures in the book of Revelation that they would rule with a rod of iron. In fact, the son of the church brought forth by the woman when the red dragon sought to destroy her seed, he was going to rule the the whole Roman world with a rod of iron. But here we have all that they pointed to, even the king of their kingdoms. He rules with the true rod, the true king. Now we saw the reed of this king when he measured the temple, the altar, and them that worship therein, in chapter 11, verse 1, that was like a rod, a reed for measuring, a rod to rule. The outer court was given to the Gentiles, who would not be measured with the king's rule, but had their own, the Antichrist himself. There he remained in the court of the Gentiles for 42 months, Now Jesus has this rod, not to measure, but to destroy his adversaries. This is a whole different phase of the kingdom of God. And on his thigh, there was a name written, verse 16 tells us, King of kings and Lord of lords. What a king is to his people, Jesus is to the king. The king rules his people, he is their superior, they must submit They must obey. They must have allegiance. What must the kings do to Jesus then? They must submit. They must obey. They must have allegiance. All authority comes from God. 
No authority is higher than his. No authority is equal to his. All authority is under his. Christ's dominion is real. It is present. And it shall be manifest more and more as his enemies are scattered, crushed, and overthrown. The beast then and his armies come to Armageddon. Verses 17 through 21. Verse 17 says, I saw another angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, high up and a loud voice, so that the message could be heard by all the fowls of the heaven. Wherever they flew, come, gather together unto the supper of the great God. Do you remember there was a marriage supper of the Lamb? Those were blessed who are called to it. Here's another supper, God's supper. John Trapp comments, They that would not come to the supper of the Lamb shall be made a supper to the fowls of heaven. These fowls are called upon to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men. Here the whore has those attached to her still. Most of the kings turn on her and burn her. Some remain loyal to her even after the fall of her city. These kings will be destroyed as in a moment. The flesh of all men, verse 18 tells us, both free and bond, both small and great, regardless of their condition, their status, if they remain attached to the son of perdition, they shall perish. Then I saw the beast, verse 19, and the kings of the earth and their armies. These are the kings that the beast And the false prophet went forth to bring to Armageddon under the sixth seal, or excuse me, the sixth vial, chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. Here the battle of Armageddon is given more largely. What are the exact dimensions of this fight? How quickly does it end? What is the result of this war? They gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, Here, the boldness of the beast and the false prophet is made known. This is the one they claim to represent and be married to. This is the false wife's husband. What's she doing? She's coming to fight against him through the beastly power of this wicked and godless system. Now, a beast in the book of Revelation and in the book of Daniel is often taken for a kingdom or a civil power, a civil dominion. A false prophet is not a civil dominion. It is rather someone who arises and says, I teach you in the name of the Lord. That's what a prophet does. But the false prophet deceives in the name of the Lord. He says he speaks on God's behalf, but does he? No, he doesn't. He lies in the name of the Lord. He has lying wonders. This is, you might say, the twofold aspect of the Roman whore. There is a civil aspect. I have dominion over all states. And there is an ecclesiastical aspect. I have the right to teach you to commit idolatry and spiritual whoredom. The ecclesiastical and the secular dominion of the Antichrist, in other words. This false prophet wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had not received the mark of the beast. The false prophet does miracles but not to confirm the king's rule, 
not to confirm the rod with which he rules and destroys his adversaries, but rather to undermine the king's rule with their fancies and baubles and idols, their pagano popism, as we call it, their mixture of paganism and the worship of the church with some Christianity and Judaism tossed in for good measure. Now, what happens at this battle? How long is the struggle? How easy is the fight? Well, look, verse 20. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. The contest is done before it begins. It's over. Before it even commences, they get ready to fight. They come against him and done, doomed, cast into hell, fire and brimstone. What about the rest? The remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. The word of God issued forth from the mouth of King Jesus causes the devil's kingdom on earth to be swept into rubbish, all destroyed, and the birds of the air feed upon their carcasses. Faith cometh by hearing hearing by the word of God. Faith engenders a love for the truth. What does error do? What is the working of the man of sin? It's so that people will not receive the love of the truth, but believe what? A lie. So that they might be damned who have not received the love of the truth. That's what he's talking about. The same as 2 Thessalonians 2. Pray then for the preaching of God's word, the breath of Christ's mouth, the sword that issues forth from his mouth, that the word of God would go forth in power. Pray for your pastor to speak the word with boldness as I ought to speak. Pray for ministers to awaken from their slumber, to shake off the heaviness of all of the temptations to entertain, to tickle the fancy, to tell nice stories, but never to get to the one thing needful. Preach the word. The voice of God, the voice of Christ, the scriptures themselves going forth to conquer the nations so that all his adversaries might be destroyed and subdued. And thus far the exposition of Revelation 19.